Well, you may be seated. We're over in the book of Judges, chapter 3. Last week we looked at a passing of one generation, the rise of a new one. That the wilderness generation was some of the characteristics of it. They were quick to complain, quick to doubt, quick to disobey, quick to go back to what was known. They lacked endurance, courage, and faith. So you have to wonder what good qualities did they have. I told you I came up with one. Maybe you all during the week came up with another. I came up with one good quality. They could get excited. <laughs> but that was about it. <laughs> if something good happened, they could get excited. But that was about all that I could find for them. The promised land generation, though, was very different. They were quick to believe, diligent in obedience, ready to, be- to believe, possessed endurance, respected authority, and they were loyal to God. We see that sometimes when a generation goes that was so diligent and one comes up that was not, we wonder, was it because they weren't taught? Or was it because they did not remember? Or was it because they did not highly regard what they heard? And it can be any of those things. Sometimes a generation does not teach the others. Sometimes they just don't want to remember. They heard it, but they don't want to remember. And sometimes they did not hold it in high regard. What we remember and regard, we tend to emulate. We need to make sure we regard the, the right things. So the last time, not always are we untaught or forgetful. He said sometimes we just don't listen. Sometimes we just don't listen. We heard it, but we didn't listen. And that may be the problem with him. We ended up last time saying that no matter how good we are at what it is that we do or our call, we will be replaced. <laughs> and the question is, how good will those replacements be? We want to make sure that our replacements are good ones. So we're over here in Judges, the third chapter. Verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that He might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. Now, it was not God's design to test them by them, but since they didn't want to drive them out, God says, all right, leave them there. I'm not going to drive them out, and they're going to test you. That wasn't His plan. That wasn't what He wanted to do, but because of their disobedience, that's what came up. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. And anyone who wants to think that God is a pacifist will have a real hard time with that verse. You'll have to pull that out or buy a translation that doesn't translate it that way. Nevertheless, that is what the verse says. Because when we are in war, we have to always be ready, disciplined, ready to go. At least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines... Now, originally they were conquered, but apparently they they, uh, rose up again. All the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in the mountains of Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Harmoth. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and they served their gods. (laughs) 
There have been many a person who has thought they could convert him or her and end up getting converted themselves. Solomon, of course, was one of the most or one of the foremost with that. And certainly you would think that if anyone would not fall, it would be Solomon. But he did. He even got into a place where he was serving these gods, gave them, built houses for them to serve these gods. But here the Israelites, ah, we'll go ahead and marry some of their daughters. We'll go ahead and give some of our daughters to their sons. And Well, as long as we're here, we may as well see what they do to worship their gods. And one thing led to another, and pretty soon they were worshiping their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God. They served the Baals and the Asherahs. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of, the Cush, of Cushan, Rishathium, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan, Rishathium, eight years. His name means... Uh, the. the um, Oh, I'm sorry, that's actually the name of, of uh, Othniel, who is a deliverer. His name means Lion of God, or Force of God, is what his name means. He is from the tribe of Judah. He may be the only judge from the tribe of Judah. There may be one other, we're not quite sure where he comes from. Maybe the only, but he is from the tribe of Judah. The uh, king that he goes up against... His name means Dark One of Double Evil. Boy, how would you like to go around with a name like that? <laughs> Dark One of Double Evil. He is from Mesopotamia, which means in the midst of the rivers. The particular rivers in me- mentioned here are the Tigris and the Euphrates. The Tigris and the Euphrates. This is the area of Babylon, the area of Nimrod, and the area of Cush. Now, you can see Cush in his name, and it is possible that's something that came from that, but can't say that for sure. They served this, this king for eight years. Now, by this, the tokens of how they were in the day, they were from a far away place. Even when Hezekiah was king of Israel, Babylon was considered to be a far away place. You remember Babylon sent the ambassadors? And Hezekiah gave them the grand tour. And the prophet came and met him and said, Who are these people? Oh, they come from a far away place. He said, The day will come when they will rule over this place. And sure enough, they did. But here, first problem that they have is with someone who is way far away outside of the land. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, their, the, the Lord when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel. Who delivered them? Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. So Caleb's nephew. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan, Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hands and his hand prevailed over Cushan, Rishathim. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. The assumption is that for during the 40 years that he was around, that Israel served God and had peace. Now, here's one thing that's not exactly known. If the judges had an entirely nationwide effect or if they were more regional, it could be that he was more on the eastern side because we do see some activity later on on the western side. 
that is a possibility, but we don't know for sure. So we'll just assume for the best that all Israel served God. But the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and nothing happened until the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They served this guy for eight years. Now, I'm sure that there was some crying out to the Lord before, but do you remember what when they were in Egypt, what did the Lord say? He heard the cries of the people. Well, they served Egypt for 430 years. <laughs> Supposed to be 400, ended up being 30 years more because of Moses. But sometimes it takes us a little while before we uh, come on back. I guess, you know, they were serving the Baals. Maybe they were crying out to the Baals for a while and God didn't hear that. But then they must have come to their senses and came on back and decided that we're going to cry out to the Lord instead. And people will go to the Lord when things are bad. It's just a problem with staying with the Lord when things are good. And some people have that issue. Some people don't. Some people will stay with God whether things are good, whether things are bad. But there are people that as soon as things get bad, they come crying to God. And as soon as things are okay, they're off on their own. Now, this is a far away enemy. We're going to see all three types of enemies here, but this one is a far away enemy. In Judges uh, chapter 3, verse 12, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. You would think that you'll learn after the fifth time how many times they have wandered away from God and it didn't work good. You know, most of us can be taught. <laughs> most of us learn if a thing doesn't work, don't do it again. You know, we learn real early on when we're little kids that if you put our hands in the socket, it hurts. And it, it takes maybe once or twice, maybe twice, but then you're usually done. That curiosity is, is past, isn't it? You put your hand on a hot stove, you don't really have to do it again. You'll remember. Don't do that. You would think that after a terrible experience that we would remember. But it seems that, at least with Israel and with a lot of other people, as far as following God, how many bad experiences do you have to have before you learn that it's not a good thing to go away from God? But we did it again. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Now Moab is closer. They're a neighbor. And it says the Lord strengthened him. Made him strong. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek and went and defeated Israel and took possession of the cities, city of the Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. They served the other king, 8 years. They served this one, 18, about twice as long. 18 years. And then guess what they did? They cried out to the Lord. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, it's not that, um, you know, it seems like all of our left-handed people in the Word of God come from the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> I'm not saying that only left-handed people come from Benjamin, but only the ones that are mentioned come from Benjamin. And they had a lot of them. They don't, it's not the only one. They had scores of them. They saw, I mean, left-handed people are just not as common as right-handed people, even today. Now, we're seeing more left-handed people. But, you know, when I was growing up, 
Uh, there were many people like my grandmother that if she found something in your left hand, pulled it out and put it in your right. And um, I heard that she did that with uh, us, my sister and I, and apparently it worked. But either she wore out or something because my brother is left-handed. <laughs> so I'm not sure how that, how that occurred. But um, it's, I, I, don't know, I don't know how much of a tendency we had to it, if you just saw it once or twice or, or what it was because I'm very, very comfortable with my right hand, except hockey. I play hockey left-handed. I don't know why. We have about a whole bunch of guys over there that are right-handed people, and we play le- hockey with left-handed sticks. What's really funny is that we usually, sometimes we split up teams by taking all the sticks, we throw them in the middle, and we just kind of split them on up. But you can't really, by looking at it, you're not really focusing on left-handed and right-handed and stuff like that. And, and one time after we straightened it all out, we all got in the same side. We didn't realize it until we went for the face-off. Because when you go for the face-off, you either want two left-handed people or two right-handed people going for the face-off. And we couldn't do that because on one side, we're all left-handed players. And on the other side, we're all right-handed players. Every single one on the one team played with a right-handed stick. And every single one on the other team played with a left-handed stick. Never saw that happen before. And it was all by random, just random. And uh, I don't know, I think there's, there's about six or seven per team that night. And every single one of them. Because usually, you know, if I, I go on up there, Lamar, they don't let Lamar and I play on the same team too often. So... We both play left-handed, even though we're both right-handed. And so we usually take the face off together, or there's a couple of guys, and there was no way to do it. But these are not just people who do one or two things left-handed. They were left-handed people. This particular one was a left-handed person, Eglon. I'm sorry, Ehud was, the, was a left-handed person. Now, in this, it's going to work to his advantage in what he's going to do. So the king of Moab strengthened himself by gathering the people from Ammon and Amalek and they came against Israel and they defeated Israel and they took possession of the city of the of the palms which is the city or the region area of Jericho now most this is not really the city of Jericho because the city of Jericho is not rebuilt until much later in Israel's history the word of God is very clear about when it is rebuilt because when they laid the foundations when they built the gate they they lost the oldest they lost the youngest as the prophecy was we're going to be that has not happened yet so apparently there is a stronghold near where jericho was and this is what they took so the children of israel served eglon king of moab for 18 years but when the children of israel cried out to the lord the lord raised up a deliverer for them ehud son of gerar or jira the the benjamite a left-handed man by him the children of israel sent tribute to eglon king of moab so he was raised up, but you know they had to bring tribute money because they were serving them, and that's part of the ways that you serve them is that so much of your money from the kingdom would go over to him, and then they would leave you alone. Is it like bully money? Mm-hmm. You know, we're stronger than you are, and if you don't want us to come over and beat you up, then you kind of give us some money, and so you send them money every year, and they leave you alone. Except, you know, I'm sure that every year they say, you know, we want more money <laughs> than we had last year, and you know, all that sort of stuff that goes on. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, well, that again. They wait, but this time 18 years. Getting a little more stubborn. (laughs) Now Ehud made himself a dagger that was double-edged and a cubit in length. I don't know if he fashioned this out of anything that he saw or if he just was sleeping one night and God gave him a dream and said, make this. And he did it and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Now Keith was out there telling us, uh, I forget where it was, that the 
reason that people shake hands is because most people were right-handed, and that way you saw that they didn't have a weapon in their hand. This is kind of what's going on here. They're not expecting a left-handed man. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. Now, the Word of God does not say that this was good or bad. It's just telling you that he was a very fat man. That's just how it was. I mean, if you meet some people, you can see that they're very thin, they're very fat, they're very short, very tall. It's just stating the thing. Here's how it is. But it does have an impact on the story. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute, but he himself turned back from the stone image that were at Gilgal. So Ehud comes in, and apparently other people were with him, and after they present the tribute, he sends the rest of the people out. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal. And now Gilgal is a nice little spot for Israel. And there were some kind of stoned images here now. And said, I have a secret message for you, O king. Now here's one thing I wasn't able to find out. Were the stone images built by Israel? Were the stone images of, of, of their origin? But there were stone images. And it almost seems like it strengthens him to come on back and do something. I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silence. And all who attended him, Ehud had already sent out all who attended with him. And now the king said, oh, you have a secret message? Oh, hold on a minute. Let me get rid of everybody. So he got rid of everybody. And all who attended him went out from him. Now that was good because he would have had a hard time pulling this plan off if the room was full. And all who attended him went out from him. And he, Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade. That's kind of like the handle on the part that's ahead of your hand. And the fat closed over the blade. For he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Now, I mean, this sounds kind of gross and all that sort of stuff, but you know, when you're actually in the heat of the moment, in the battle, it's not something that you're, you're focusing on. You just kind of take that blade and just thrust it in because you know coming out bloody. <laughs> and it doesn't sound, it sounds like he's a warrior, it sounds like he's a, he's a fighting guy, so he's not, this is nothing that's strange to him, but he was, you know, if you're on the battlefield, you're not necessarily facing a guy who's this large. They don't usually go out in the battlefield. So the whole thing, the, every, every bit of it all went inside the guy. And he just left it there. Just pulled his hand out. And uh, now his hand's bloody and a mess. So he has to clean up. And then he gets himself out. For he did not draw the dagger out of his belly and his entrails came out. Isn't that a pretty picture? Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. So he had an escape plan. So he's got a mission. God apparently puts this mission on the inside of him. And he gives him this picture of this blade to make and he makes this blade. And the blade is very effective for what he wants to do. And he's got a way to hide it. But if you think about this whole, whole thing, you are coming into the enemy king's territory or wherever it is that he's set up, and he's it's got it all set up with all his people, and I'm sure all his people check the folks coming in for weapons. 
We do that on a customary thing today. I'm sure that they did that there. So he knows he's going through checkpoints. He knows that he has a mission to do, and that is to take the king out. And you got to know, this, this is dangerous. This is a dangerous mission to do. This takes some courage. There is no going back once you uh, take care of that. They know who you are. You're the guy who brings the tribute. They've seen you before. Probably know where you live. But he takes the thing from God and he, he heads on over there and, and God creates the opportunity by getting all the folks to, to head on out. And everybody was, was removed. But in verse 20, And Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in this cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Now Ehud's not sitting. The other guy's sitting. He's sitting up because he's hot, I guess. Got a cool chamber up there. I have a message from God for you. My, my thought on this is, if you are the king of an idolatrous nation who does not serve God, and somebody comes up to you and says, and I have a message from Jehovah God for you, why would you listen? Why would you, why would you care? Did, it's not a message from your God. Why would you care? Sometimes I think Christians get messages that are not from God and they rise up to meet them. We've got to be careful because if we are not, there are people in this world who are given as messages from their God. We don't not to respect it. We don't need to hear it. But Ehud, oh, your God has a special message for me? Mm, I want to hear this. So he rises up and he has no suspicion at all. How often in the Word of God have people played to the pride of leaders and subdued them? I'll tell you what, it's happened a number of times. Absalom was subdued because of his pride. Because the message came in, that, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, I'll come in with all Israel. Hmm. Oh, that'll be good. So he liked the, the one that was not the better counsel. And it uh, caused him to die. His plan failed because of that. Of course, that's what David was praying. David said, let the uh, counsel of Ahithophel seem as foolishness. And that's exactly what happened. But there are other ones beside those. And their pride brought about their fall. I have a message from you for God. For, for you. I have a message from God for you. So he rose from his seat and he had reached with his left hand, took the dagger with his right thigh, from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. He's not even suspicious, not even thinking. Again, he's a big guy and probably not as good at defending himself. But Ehud, he's got a mission, he's got a tool, and he's got courage. His words, I have a message from God for you. And you got to wonder what his enemy was thinking about. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. Guess why? <laughs> Ehud has been here before, apparently, to deliver the tribute. So he kind of knows the layout of the thing. He must know some of the layout of how things are going to go, and he has this orchestrated as to what he's going to do. And locking doors, I guess, is part of it. And he figures, if I am able to, to get out of there and lock the doors, then I'll have a little bit of time to get away. And he does. 
if this is the way he scripted this thing to go, it has gone exactly the way that it should. Not like uh, Hannibal in the A-Team when... No, I used to love it when he'd come out there. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> and of course, there isn't a plan they had initially at all. <laughs> but his outlook on things was just such that, oh, it doesn't matter, it's still part of the plan. It'll work. <laughs> but his plan seems to be going exactly the way he wants it to go. Or dreamed of it going. So they come to the doors of the upper room. They were locked, so they said, he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. So they waited till they were embarrassed. And still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore they took the key and opened them. And there was their master fallen dead on the floor. Now it's kinda, you gotta feel pretty bad at that point. You've been waiting outside, waiting outside, waiting outside. He's not answering yet. Well, he must be busy doing something. Waiting outside, waiting outside, and you find he's dead. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sierra. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains and he led them. Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan according to Moab and did not allow anyone to cross over. Well, if they cross over, they're going to be back in their homeland. They're going to get away. So they want to make sure that they don't get out and get over the, uh, the area there, that they're able to get them. I looked at this, verse 28. Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. If you are the children of Israel, and Ehud comes up and he says, follow me. For the Lord has delivered your enemies into your hand. First off, what proof does he have? <laughs> oh, I killed the king. Oh, yeah? How'd you do that? What did you do? Where's the king? Well, he's back in the room. He's got no proof that anything has, has gone on. Uh, I don't know how quick they're going to spread word over there. But this is the people who continually worships idols goes right on back to idols, had just been following the practice of worship in idols, and he says, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Well, they have to trust that word. They've got to believe that word, and they apparently do when they go down in the battle and they have a great victory. They took back all that area, the children of Israel area, where Moab was ruling them from or uh, directing things from, and they chased them out. Killed most of them because they didn't want them to go over into, the, into their land. Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies into your hand. And they listened. I think if most of us were thinking about this, we would assume that the children of Israel would not listen. And most of us wouldn't say anything. Oh, I'm not going to tell them that. They're not going to listen. Lord, you know these people. They're going to say, how do we know? Show us something. And, you know, I don't have anything to show them. But, you see, we're doing a lot of the same things today because how many times have we worked with people? Do we have people in our neighborhood? Do we have people that we know, relatives we know? Oh, I'm not going to share Jesus with them because I know they're not going to take them. They're not going to receive them. They're not going to hear it. I'm not going to share the healing power of God with that person. They're not going to want it. They're not going to believe it. What do I have to show them? But... Ehud doesn't do all this. I mean, if you look at the guy, he goes into a situation where he's been in before, delivering the tribute with a plan, and he knows it's risky, but he does it anyway. And the whole plan comes together just fine. 
And then he comes before Rachel. Come on, let's all go. We're going to go get him. <laughs> and um, they did. Now, you remember in the, later on in the Old Testament, we're going to run into a time when a much more godly man, at least from the, what we're known in the Word of God, with a nation who follows after God for the most part, says sort of the same thing and no one follows him except for his armor bearer. That's Jonathan. Come on, let's go. No, no. no. All right, armor bearer, you and me, let's go. And they go and they start a, a great victory. But these people left. Don't sell anybody short. Tell them. Let them decide not to go. Not to listen. Don't sell anybody short. Don't decide for them. And at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab. All stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So their plan of not letting them cross over the Jordan was, had worked. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. This is going to be the longest period of rest that Israel will have. We don't, we're not told like we were before that uh, Ehud was alive all that time and that's why. It may have been that he was alive all that time and that's why. But we don't know. doesn't really say too much about it. It just says that they had rest over the land for 80 years. I believe if you go through the Word of God, you're going to have find five times they had rest 40 years. One time they had rest 80. The other one was a faraway enemy. This one is a nearby enemy. They're neighbors. Now this last guy, we don't get a whole lot on him. We get one verse. He's only worthy of one verse. Ehud got a lot of verses. Shamgar gets one. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. Well, the Philistines are enemies on the west side of Israel. Moab is an enemy on the east side, the side of the Jordan River. And it says that he delivered them using an ox goad. Now, I found one of these lists. This list was pretty good. It actually was a, my number and its number was a little bit different, but I think this, I like this number better. There are seven weak things that were turned effective weapons in the book of Judges. The first was the ox goad in Judges chapter 3. The next was a woman, generally considered to be a weak thing in the Old Testament, but uh, she was a deliverer. In Judges chapter 4, verse 21, a nail. In Judges chapter 9, a piece of millstone. In Judges chapter 7, a pitcher and a trumpet. All things that you would not consider to be big war symbols, but they were. In Judges chapter 15, the jawbone of a donkey. Interesting that they would take such unassuming, seemingly unrelated things to war and do that. Now, Shamgar was a contemporary with Jael. Deborah and Barak. They were all people that were in the same thing. And you'll see that over in Judges chapter 5 and verse 6 that he was uh, during the same time as them. This is an enemy that is within the borders of Israel. There are some times that we face enemies that are far away. There are some times we face enemies that are nearby. And there are some times we face enemies that are within our own borders or people within our own sphere, family, friends, Enemies can come up in all sorts of places. And God didn't just say, when you disobey me, I'm going to have enemies from far away. He did that first. They disobeyed him. He had enemies from nearby. And then he had enemies from within their own 
area, the area they were supposed to have subdued, but they didn't do it. But again, the reasons that God brings up a judge and the judge helps to deliver Israel is because they cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. Are we receiving things from God based on faith or through mercy? If we cry out to the Lord, we're receiving things on mercy, not on faith. There was no merit. There was nothing that they, that God could act on. He just had to have compassion for them and just move on their behalf. And you're going to see this even in the New Testament. We told you in the New Testament there were three reasons that Jesus healed. First reason was people had faith. The second reason was Jesus had compassion. And the third, the third one, mixture of the two. You guys do good with that. Yeah. A mixture of compassion and, and faith. But the most certain, the greatest of all the healings we ever saw was the ones that received it by faith. The ones who received it by faith they weren't on Jesus' timetable. They weren't waiting for something to happen for them. The ones that received by faith, the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus is not even aware. Not even aware anything's going on. She just came on up and took it. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be made whole. And she crept up in the, in the group, touched the hem of his garment, and sure enough, she was made well. And Jesus said, healing power is going out for me. Where would it go? He knew it went out from somewhere. And Jesus would say to people, be it unto you according to your faith. That is the greatest way that, that we will see things come about. But it said that God heard their cries. God heard their cries. Too often Christians today want to mimic this. And we try and go after God and have God hear our cries. Now listen to our prayers. Do our prayers sound like cries? Oh, Lord, we're suffering so much. Oh, it's so bad. Because what, what do they say? What is Israel saying when they're under the thumb of one of the enemies? Oh, it's so bad. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, we're losing money. Oh, it, oh we, we shouldn't be this way. Oh, they're taking all of our stuff. Oh, they're, they're just crying out. Just telling God how it is. When you are in the midst of a crying, you are just telling God how things are when you're in the midst of crying. And how many of y'all know we've all been in the midst of crying when we've gone before God? And we're telling them how things are because certainly God doesn't know. If God knew, certainly it wouldn't be this way anymore. And so we have to get out there and we got to cry out to God and let them know, Oh God, in case you don't know, we're down here and this and this is going on. And this and this is happening. And well, you know, I'm losing this and not having this. And, and we just cry out to God. And God has answered people who cried out to God, but... Eight years, 18 years, 430 years. We may not be around to see that one come up. That's not the way that you want to see things happen. So God heard their cries, not their faith. I went through the New Testament just kind of in my head and going through some of the things that were there. And I noticed uh, a couple of things. First off, faith is either seen, found, or recognized. Faith is seen, found, or recognized in the Bible. It is not heard. Faith comes 
by hearing. But faith is seen. The Lord would see a person's faith or he would find their faith or he would recognize their faith, find them in faith. Faith is either seen, found, or recognized. Cries are heard. Is how we are living, what we are saying, done in such a way for God to see, find, or recognize our faith, or to hear our cries? That'll tell you what side you're falling on. Faith is seen, found, or recognized. Cries are heard. So where do we fall? Where do we fall with the things of God? It is very easy for us to fall into the area of cries. And we can look at Israel and we can get on their case for all this stuff. They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. But how many times with all the teaching we've had on faith, all the teaching we've had on believing, all the teaching we've had on the will of God, how many times do we find ourselves crying to God? Oh, it's so bad. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, you don't know what I'm going through. Oh, it's, it's the end. It's like the, the guy on the TV years ago. I don't even know what his name was, but they had the, the show. I'm coming up. Was it Ethel, his wife? Fred Sanford, that's the guy. Elizabeth, I'm coming, Elizabeth. <laughs> and, you know, he'd always hold his heart and he's going to tip on over and <laughs> this is the big one. That's it. This is it. I'm coming. <laughs> and of course, the son would just roll the eyes and yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he always fall into that every time. Cries are heard. Faith is seen, recognized, or found. So what do our words tell us about our faith? It's really easy to tell people that are in faith. It's really easy to tell. I mean, Jesus recognized them all the time. People in faith are not putting on airs. People of faith are not just trying to generate a language. People of faith are speaking what they believe. It's a huge difference for people who speak what they believe Compared to people, there's a huge, huge difference. Where are we in the area of faith? Do we line up more with Israel who's crying out to God because things got bad and we're waiting for God to act? Or are we like Ehud who said, all right, God has given me a plan. It involves, first off, that I go and do a very dangerous thing. We never one time read of him ever saying, should I really do this? He gets the plan and he does it. Never one time to hear him say, I might die. He just goes in and he does it. And then he comes over to Israel. The Lord has delivered us, delivered them into our hand. Let's go. And what's he basing it on? He's basing it on nothing except what God said. That's it. He's got faith. The Lord can see that faith. The Lord can recognize that faith. He doesn't have to hear it. But for the cries, it's all you get to hear. All you get to hear is the cries. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us to recognize in our own life if we are in a place where we are just crying out, just pouring out our list of complaints and our reasons why it shouldn't be this way and 
how hard it is and difficulties. Oh, but Lord, we don't want to be falling into that area. Our faith is seen. Our faith is found. Our faith is recognized. Jesus recognized the faith that was in the centurion. He saw it. How many other people did he say, great is your faith? He recognized that faith. Father, we want to have our faith to be seen, to be recognized, to be found by you. And not simply hearing cries. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us. To not fall into the path that Israel fell into, but to be the victorious ones. We thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.